Welcome to another edition of Now is the Time with Steve Bergson on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org. Now, here's Steve. All right, so today we're in Are You Covenanted Part 18. Part 18. So for those of you that are brand new, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I've missed so much. Don't worry, we'll catch you up. We're going to spend the first half an hour doing all the other 17 parts in fast motion, okay? No, I'm kidding. Um, so we're going to begin here in Psalm 106. Okay, Tehillim, Psalm 106. We left off in verse 27, but I am going to begin in verse 1 and just catch us up and try to resist stopping anywhere before we get to 27, just so we can have some context here. Now, a reminder, what we've been looking at in the covenanting um, understanding is the role that remembering what Yah has done plays in our covenant keeping. When we remember, hopefully we've seen this up to this point, when we remember what he has done, then we tend to keep his covenant more diligently. When we get distracted and are not paying attention and remembering what he has done, we tend to get lackadaisical and we slack off in our covenant keeping. Okay? So we're continuing here in Psalm 106. I'm going to begin in verse 1, and we're going to take it through to the end of the psalm. But last week we left off, I think, around verse 27. All right. Praise Yah. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his kindness is everlasting. So remember, we pointed out, just to stop here, always he starts with praise him. Praise Yah. Give thanks. Because before he wants to tell us how foolish we've been and how much we've messed up, we're encouraged to praise him. So even through all of that, it's got to start with praise. Who does relate the mighty acts of Yahweh or declare all his praise? Blessed are those who guard right ruling, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Yahweh, in the acceptance of your people. Visit me with with your deliverance. To see the good of your chosen ones, to rejoice in the gladness of your nation, to make my boast with your inheritance, We have sinned with our fathers. We have acted perversely. We have done wrong. Our fathers in Mitzrayim did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your many kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea, the sea of reeds. Now, you see how it started out with praise Yah, give thanks, and now an acknowledgement that, well, we've messed up quite a bit. Some of you think you've got to fix all that before you can praise him. No, start with praising him. Start with thanking him, and then acknowledge all that you need to acknowledge. He saved them, verse 8, he saved them for his name's sake to make known his might and he rebuked the sea of reeds and it dried up and he led them through the depths, through a wilderness and saved them from, a hand of the, from the hand of the hater and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy and waters covered the adversaries, not one of them was left. Then they believed his words, they sang his praise, they soon forgot. Man, he didn't even give us like a verse to calm down from that excitement. I mean, hey, they believed his words. Oh, but wait a minute, they forgot. Because it almost feels that quick when you see the history of this, how they were all excited and then they seemed to forget almost immediately. And we talked about it, I know, last week, but just let's, that's at a key point that we need to just reemphasize how quickly we can go from believing and singing praise to forgetting his works, forgetting what he's done. It says, they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but greedily lusted in the wilderness and tried El in the desert and gave them their, uh, gave them their request, but sent leanness within their being. And they were jealous of Moshe in the camp, of Aaron, the set-apart one of Yahweh. 
<clears throat> this should be a warning again to how we treat leadership. See, Yahweh is pointing out through this psalm that he did not appreciate the way they treated Moshe and Aaron. You may think you're just treating a leader a certain way. Yahweh's paying attention because I, I promise you he relates a linkage between how you treat leadership in general and how you respect or don't respect him. How you treat others is how he perceives you will also likely treat him as well. Continuing. Then the earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered the company of Aviram. And a fire burned in their company. A flame consumed the wrong. They made a calf in Horeb and bowed down to a molded image. Thus they changed my esteem into the form of an ox that eats grass. They forgot El, their savior, the doer of great deeds in Misraim. Now let's always remember that the golden calf was not a pagan god. They said, this is Yahweh. They said, you turned me into that. So it wasn't like they turned to somebody else. They decided to tell, to decide that that was him. Not the one that actually did the plagues and brought them out of Egypt, but this thing. They forgot El, their savior, the doer of great deeds, of the wonders in the land of Ham, of awesome deeds by the sea of reeds. Then he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moshe, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath from destroying them? They then despised the... I'm going to stop there for a second. I probably didn't say this the last time. One of the roles that leaders need to be aware of is they're standing in the breach for the people. Oh, the leaders love to get mad at the people and have disdain for the people and want to just hopefully... You know, some of the leaders be happy if Yahweh said, why don't I just wipe them out? And they'd be like, amen, amen. But no, Moshe showed us that it's not that way. Moses says, no, 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 kill me. Don't kill them. He took responsibility. He said, then they despised the pleasant land, verse 24. They did not believe his word. They grumbled in their tents. They did not listen to the voice of Yahweh. So he lifted up his hand in an oath against them to make them fall in the wilderness and to make their seed fall among the Gentiles and to scatter them in the lands. So that's leading up to where we start today. So we start off with, oh, give thanks, praise Yah. And then we see this roller coaster of, well, they believed and no, they forgot. But then they were good and no, they didn't. And we see that that continues for the next several thousand years to where we are today. But we are supposed to be learning from the examples. That's what Paul tells us, that all these things were written for our, as an example for us so we can learn from them. And so we're supposed to say, okay, when they did well, I can learn from that. When they didn't, I can also learn from that. So I can do what did well and avoid what didn't. So that we should not generationally, I don't want to say the word generational curse so much, as the generational cursing really is the imitating and repeating of what you see the previous generation doing. So this is a breaking of that cycle of that curse where generationally they said, we're saying, we should be saying, Hmm, we're going to read this, we're going to understand it, and we're going to make better choices. Making decisions, the reason you exist. Okay, teenagers, that's your first one to write down. That's part of the question is what teachings get mentioned during a teaching, right? Okay, so it's all about those decisions. But it's not just making decisions and seeing the wisdom of your decisions. Are you learning from what you're learning? I mean, you think that you're studying the Word, you're trying to receive from the word, but are you actually learning by applying it in your life? 
This is the key to this ministry is that we are mostly, if not exclusively concerned with what you can take and apply in your life as part of your transformation from what you are into what he is. We're not all that concerned with things that are interesting, fascinating. We're looking at effectiveness. Is this going to help you become more like him and less like you? And so we see this here playing out. We're reading it, we're studying it, and here in the Psalms, it's not even happening. It's telling you an account of what already happened. So I want you to see that as we're studying covenant, we've already had a long process up to here, 17 hours of stuff, with all the extra few extra minutes at the end of each year, probably 18 or 19 hours of stuff. We've heard a lot of things repeated over and over and over. You know, I could remind you from first, uh, from first Peter. Is it first Peter or second Peter? Let me just make sure I'm going. Okay, first, second Peter. Okay, so in second Peter, chapter one, verse 12, Peter says, look, I intend to remind you of these matters again and again and again and again and again. Though you know them, we are going to, I mean, I was putting this teaching together today. And I see some of the things that are coming, the next parts coming forward after this. And some of it I'm thinking, man, we've already hit that hard and hit that hard and hit that hard. But you know what? Yahweh said it in the, in the first five books. He said it in through the, some of the writings we did like Kings and, and Chronicles. Now we're reading it in the Psalms. Wait till we get to the prophets. Guess what? He says it again. So I don't want you sitting there going, ugh, I get it already. You know what? That's where you make a mistake. That's what they did. They're like, oh, I get it already. And they got complacent. They got lackadaisical. So here's Peter saying, look, I intend to remind you of stuff again and again and again, though you know it and have been established in it. So not only is he talking to people that know it, they've actually been established. And he says, oh, no, I think it's right, verse 13, that as long as I'm in this body, in this tent, to stir you up by a reminder. Why would he come to that conclusion? I don't know, because he read the rest of the Bible. He sees what Yahweh does. Don't you think that people who study the word, by the time they get to the Psalms, if they started in Genesis, already saw all this? How many of the Psalms remind you of the events leading up to the psalmist writing at that moment? It goes through the beginning, then usually even some of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then it goes through Moses. It goes through different things just to show you how we ended up here. I don't know how many Psalms, probably a good third or more of them do that. And yet some of us will be sitting there going, oh yeah, blah, 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 blah. Never, never, never look at the word as blah, 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 blah. I mean, I always find it fascinating that this book can be this small, really. I know first time I saw a Bible, I thought, oh my, it's the biggest thing I've ever seen as a book. You know, these little thin paperbacks you could see or a hardcover. I mean, it's a very big book compared to most books you read. But considering how small it is, covering 4,000 years of events and activities, it's a tiny book. And if you consider how much Yahweh repeats himself, it's amazing that it has like 10 million times more information in it than you would think in a small book. I mean, here we are reading a book that, I mean, if you took out all the redundancies, the book would probably be this thin. Just be this small, but yet... How much stuff is packed into that? How much stuff is packed into the subtleties when he repeats himself and slides one little nuance in there? One little distinction in there that wasn't there before. So yeah, he's repeating himself. 
but he's adding something. He's clarifying something. He's making a distinction somewhere. Or he's connecting things that you would never have realized were connected. Okay? We're going to get into the, um, in the prophets, and we're going to see that there's a heavy-duty connection between Yeshua, covenant, and redemption. By redemption, maybe I'm using the wrong word. I was never in the mainstream of Christianity, so I know they get into sanctification and this all that. Look, I mean the regathering and ultimate restoration. There's a connection between, in the, in the prophets, the idea of covenant, the idea of Yeshua before Yeshua was even in the flesh, and this bringing back and regathering and restoring of Israel. And so we see things being brought together, things being clarified, but it's still using the same elements that we're reading about right now here in Psalm 106. Same thing we read when we were reading in Chronicles or Kings or in Genesis or Deuteronomy. It doesn't matter. So let's be careful with that because I'm going through the verses I want to work with and I keep thinking, well, we already read all that. Well, wait a minute. There's a little hint right here, a little something that needs to be clarified. What you want to do is be awake and attentive and openly ready to receive what that is. Also, you want to be ready to receive. What have you heard and gotten kind of, you know, um, scripture deaf to that you need to be aware of that you don't want to be scripture deaf to? Oh, well, you've heard it, you've heard it, you've heard it, so now you're not listening anymore. So let's be careful with all of that because we're going to read the rest of this psalm here and we're going to read some into another psalm. But just, I think it's important that we clarify that if he said it more than once, there's a reason, so we should read it more than once. And so let's not be finding ourselves getting a little bored or worn out with, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay? Okay, so we're ready to go into 28. So in this dissertation of history being accounted here in Psalm 106, he says, and then they joined themselves to Baal Pure, and eight slaughterings made to the dead. Thus they provoked him with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. So you could have read right through this and kept going and not realized the key in verse 29. How can the mainstream of Christianity tell you the law was done away with when it's your deeds? What's another word for deeds? Works. The works provoked him. By the same token, the right works make him pleased. We're told to figure out and understand what is well-pleasing in his sight. He said, they provoked him, not with their attitude necessarily, not with, you know, their thoughts, but as they manifested into deeds. Their actions. Why? Now, why did the actions provoke him? Because the actions show in the three-dimensional world what is going on inside your heart and your head. We talked about that, you know, a ton in the, in the Heart of the Matter series, as well as in other teachings, Okay. They provoked him with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. Then Pinchas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped. And that was reckoned to him for righteousness to all generations forever. So what was reckoned to him for righteousness? Because we're told in Christianity that Abraham was accorded righteousness because he believed. That's true. Of course, in Hebrews 11, we're told that he, by faith or belief... He offered his son. By faith or belief, he left the land of his birth. So belief 
took on action, which demonstrated the belief, and that was what was called righteousness. Because righteousness as a word, as a term, it means doing the right thing, doing what is right. So here, Pinchas stood up and he did something. Now, it doesn't say in here, but he stood up and he put his spear through the man and the woman that were causing the problem. Or at least they were inspiring more people to do the thing they should not be doing. So he was, that was considered righteous, that he actually did something. Of course, it was also, for all those of you who like, want to jump in and say, oh, well, then I get to do that to whoever. No, you don't. Pinchas wasn't just anybody. What was he? He was a Kohen. He was a high priest line. And so he had a role to play there before all of you want to get out your spears on Facebook and just start spearing everybody. Especially this time of year when we're getting to deal with things like Christmas and everybody wants to get all mad and tell everybody how stupid they are and everything else. Don't do that. They're where, the, they're where you were however long ago. They're in the same place you were. But they had not had the experience yet that you had of having your eyes open and your ears open and your heart open. So whose fault is that? Theirs? No. No more than it was your fault. So put your spear down. Nobody said you're a king or priest yet. You're not a Kohanim. This was in a nation that had come out of Egypt and Pinchas had a role, which by the way, others above him had dropped the ball. It really wasn't his role to do, but he finally realized nobody else was going to do it. It's up to me. So this is considered righteous behavior. This is reckoned to him for righteousness. Now to all generations, that was part of a promise to Pinchas and his lineage it wasn't that all generations going forward all would be righteous just because of what he did. He was given the priestly line going forward. Okay? Verse 32, And they provoked wrath at the waters of Meribah, and Moshe suffered on account of them, because they embittered his spirit, and he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as Yahweh had commanded them, but mixed with the Gentiles and learned their works, and served their idols, and they became a snare to them, and they slaughtered their sons and their daughters to demons. And they shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they offered to idols of, the idols of Canaan. And the land was defiled with blood. Let me go back here to the verse where it talks about Moses here for a second. And Moses suffered on account of them because they embittered his spirit. And then he popped his cork and it was only so much he could take. How many of you empathize with Moses when you read that story? Okay, and seeing how mad he got, how he lost his temper. How many of you would have felt guilty and terrible if you were ones who were there that caused him to lose his temper? So why do we do what we do to other leaders? You don't think you're wearing them out? You don't think you're getting them to the point where they're like, that we're going to Yahweh saying, if I've done anything that's you know, favorable in your sight, please kill me? Because I'm about to go kill somebody? Because that's what Moses was doing. Moses was like, I am about to go let loose on somebody. Please just kill me so I don't see my sin. And you should be thinking, I hope I'm not contributing to that. Now, I'm not saying this because any of you are doing that. I'm just saying it's a thought process to recognize that you could be doing that. That doesn't excuse Moses. Moses had a role. He had a position. And he was expected to do it fully. And so he can't go back there and say, well, you know, but the people, they were driving me crazy. Well, that was true. But so what? By the way, some of you will come to me and say, well, but my children or my husband or my wife, or 
So what? Where does it say you have to do this, this, and this? Well, unless somebody's driving you nuts and crazy and they're, they're irritating you too much. Then it's okay to lose your temper and lash out or whatever. It doesn't say that anywhere. Moses is an example of that. The opposite is true. When you pop that cork and you lose your temper, you pay a price. But notice that when he did it, Yahweh didn't punish the people. They still got water. Okay, he could have made it not work when Moses lost his temper. But Moses was the one who paid the price there. Okay? So just kind of keep that in mind. So going forward, they they made some really terrible decisions. And it starts at verse 35, mixing with the Gentiles and learning their ways, their works. It's not, it's not that it's... Um, against Torah, for you still have interaction with friends and family that are of the world, Gentiles. Okay? And maybe we should just say it here on the teaching, just so we're clear, there is no such thing as a Gentile believer. You can be a Gentile, but once you believe, you are actually changing to a Israelite, to an Israelite. So I, I love the people that go around going, well, you know, I'm a Gentile believer. No, you're just trying to tell me you're not Jewish. I get that. But there's no such thing. It's, it's an oxymoron. It's not a right word. Those that believe are covenanted and in the camp. What are they called? Israel. So if you're a believer and you consider yourself a Gentile, there's a disconnect somewhere. So he's saying here, those that are outside the camp, let that be a better term for Gentile. Those that are not covenanted and outside the camp We're not to mix with them and learn their works. That's not to say you can't have any interaction with them at all, but be careful with the level of interaction. Okay? He's not saying you need to shun everybody. No. He scattered them amongst all the Gentiles all around the world so that he can then draw them back and also the Gentiles as well. Many of you are part of that regathering. But you got to be careful of the mixing Okay, when you, when you put ingredients in the bowl and mix them, do they stay separate? Well, isn't the whole purpose of mixing them to make sure that they're not separate? So that they combine together? So he says that word mixing, I think that's a really interesting word. Mixing doesn't mean having a level of social interaction. Because some of these people you spent your whole life getting to know, and they're very nice people. Except for belief differences, there's nothing wrong with them. Some of them, you know there's something wrong with them and you need to change those relationships. Just like some of you were those people back in the day and somebody, people should have stayed away from you. And you know that's to be true too. Okay? But when he talks about here mixing, think about the mixing bowl and the ingredients, the combining together, the merging together. Remember, Pinchas was mentioned recently, just a couple of verses earlier, the idea of Two coming together physically, sexually, that's a mixing together. So here he says, don't do that. And then because of the mixing, they learned the works of those that they were mixing with. They just said here, they provoked provoked him by their works, by their deeds. How did they do that? Well, they ended up mixing and learning the works of the Gentiles. That's how you end up with Christmas and Easter. Turn them together to Christmas. But you get them because of mixing. Okay? And learning the works of the nations and mixing them in. And so that's where it comes from. By the way, don't grab your spear and that information and get on Facebook and start lashing around at everybody. 
They don't know and they don't care because it takes an eye opening and ear opening and heart opening to receive that. You did too. Most of you, maybe a few of you didn't, weren't raised with that, but you had to go through that process. So let's be careful with the mixing with the Gentiles and learning their works. Because then because of that, they served the idols and they became a snare to them. And then they do all these other terrible things leading down to, where do we stop at verse um, 38? So 39, so they became unclean by their own works and went whoring by their own deeds. So that's where he puts on the, the stamp of personal responsibility. Okay, if you want to ask me one of the worst things that the mainstream system out there does to people is that that system pretty much wipes out, if not totally diminishes to almost wiped out, personal responsibility. Here he's telling you, they, all right, they became unclean by their own works and they went whoring by their own deeds. They made their own choices. Nobody made them do anything. Oh, the devil made me do it. Stop that. You make your own choices. All the devil could do is encourage you to go in the wrong direction. If you didn't have the thought in the first place, it wouldn't be anything to encourage. You know, I've taught this over and over and over. Hasatan's an opportunist. He does not initiate anything. That's why if you've never had an alcohol problem, guess what Hasatan's never going to try to do? Try to get you drunk because you've never had that problem. But then again, the problem that you do have, oh, he'll be kind of tempting you with that all day long till you finally get it over with, till you finally rid yourself of that thing in you and stop blaming outside sources. Oh, but this one and that one, stop that. That's, you, you learn that in Christianity. Stop being so quick to point the finger everywhere but at yourself. Now, yes, there's other sources out there that will influence, but it's an influence... It's kind of like what Yahweh did even with Pharaoh. When it says it hardened his heart, Yahweh didn't harden his heart and put an idea in his head. Oh, well, Pharaoh really wanted to let them go. No, he didn't. And the Hebrew backs that up. The Hebrew actually says to strengthen it in the way that it wanted to go already. Pharaoh really didn't want to let them go, but he was so messed up and freaked out by a plague, he said he wanted to let them go. And Yahweh's like, oh no, it's not, you're not ready for that yet. You really don't want to let them go. So I'm going to strengthen your heart in the direction it already wants to go. That's what Hasatan does also. Oh no, Rabbi, you just compared Hasatan to Yahweh. The role and the, and the actual actions can be similar. Hasatan, doesn't he try to hold himself out as Yahweh? Thing is, Yahweh does it for a purpose to benefit all. Hasatan is doing it for destruction. He's trying to get you to do your more base instincts, the lusts of your flesh, the things you crave and desire that are not good for you or anybody else. But we need to take that personal responsibility. Stop telling me about, well, but I was raised this way, or my mother did this, or my father did that, and blah, blah, blah. Now, look, I'm not mocking you. I'm not picking on you. But from the moment you come to understand something, you're now responsible for what you understand. You need to walk in that forward. Stop looking over your shoulder and making excuses. Because for every one of you that has an excuse, somebody else out there with the exact same background overcame it and didn't have a problem. Well, I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too skinny. I'm too fat. I'm too dumb. I'm too smart. I'm too wealthy. I'm too poor. I'm too blah, 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 blah. Stop making excuses. And that's all we do. Yahweh called you exactly where you were 
because that was what made sense to him. Are you going to argue with him? Well, why didn't he call me when I was 18? Well, I don't know, but he didn't. So stop whining about 18 and don't squander now. Because some of you are all upset. Well, he didn't call me until I was in my 50s. Well, be glad he called you in your 50s. You could still be out, out in the other mess. But see, we're taught through the other systems, the world systems, to look the other way. We won't have to look back over our shoulder and whine about all those excuses of, well, this was done to me and that was done to me. Yes, I'm sure it was. I'm not diminishing it. Awful thing. Okay, let's all agree. Awful things have happened to all of us. All right, so now we can go to so what? Move forward. <laughs> I'd hate to be that blunt. Some of you are thinking, I never want to counsel with him. Because I do say that in counsel sessions. Sometimes I have to give a verbal slap and say, I get it, so what? Okay? And it is helpful, she said, okay? Because sometimes what happens is we get trapped in a mindset. That's what's going on here in the psalm. He's saying, look, you guys got caught in mindsets. You did well for a little bit. Then you got complacent. Then you got distracted by what other people were doing. And so then you went off and did things you shouldn't do. We have to understand what mindset does that. So I don't do that. You need to think, what mindset is capable of that? Well, examine yourself. Are you out there looking for other people, what they're doing, and seems to work so you can start imitating them? Or are you coming to find a five-fold ministry, anointed, appointed, and ask them what you should be doing? Ask them for guidance. Are you just randomly looking for stuff on the web that's going to kind of... Now, let's deal with this ear-tickling thing. Ear-tickling is not just saying nice, wonderful things. No, it's saying what you would like to hear. Even if it's saying something not nice, but it's what you wanted to hear. You wanted somebody to tell you something was wrong, even if it might not be wrong. But it's looking for someone that's going to agree with you is basically what I'm saying. Ear-tickling is saying stuff that agrees with people or that can't possibly offend anybody because it's so commonly neutral to everybody. You can get that tomorrow on every cable broadcast without a problem. Go listen to Olstein or somebody. You'll get plenty of that. Okay? But what you want is to go find a discipling, mentoring, anointed person that's going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Because I love when people come up to leadership and say, well, you know, I've been listening to your teachings for a while, and, you know, I agree with most of it. Good, I'm mostly concerned with what you don't agree with, not because I want to change your mind, but I want to figure out where that dynamic is. Because the stuff you agreed with could be ear-tickling. You already line up. I've got people that email all the time to want to see if I line up with their doctrine. Why? Why not just figure out if I'm an anointed teacher and figure out if you line up with mine? Why do I need up to line up with yours? Because you're still looking for the ear-tickling. You're not comfortable being brought out of that place of, I feel like I know what I need to know, and I'm just chugging along. It's called disturbing the peace. But you know what? You've already enjoyed that experience. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting in these chairs or on the live stream watching this. He's already disturbed your peace. He's poked your hip out of place. Like with Jacob, he's caused you some pain and discomfort. Otherwise, you wouldn't go asking and seeking and knocking to try to find and understand what it is that was missing. Or what it is that was wrong in your life. That was the disturbing of peace. Oh, but see, now, once you found just a little bit, you think, okay, that's all the truth I want. I got what I need. And so you end up with 
Mesocostal, Mesobaptist, Mesolutheran, Mesocatholic. You end up with some sort of Messianic Hebrew roots version of what you liked. So yes, mechanically we change. You move from Sunday to Saturday. You start keeping the, the holy days instead of Christmas and Easter. You do these different things. You start eating differently. But mindset, doctrine, the way you understand, the way things work scripturally is still filtered through the denominational place you came from. Now, some of you jumped from denomination to denomination, so you have a whole eclectic mess anyway. Because inside of yourself, you're kind of a hybrid mutt of a believer. And hybrid because you chose which ones to bring in. Okay? But that's what happens. And then we start talking, and you don't realize that you're sounding like one of those pieces of that puzzle. All of a sudden, I'm talking to you, and I'm banging heads with Lutheran or, or Baptist or Pentecostal or Catholic or whatever it is. It may be Jewish. I may be banging up against your Orthodox Judaism. Whatever it is, you have to come to scriptural, messianic, Torah observant Israel. But it's so hard when you came here already indoctrinated. It's already a part of you. It's that mixing that we talked about in the previous verse. When we mix, we combine that's what they did with the Saturnalia, turning it into Christmas. They combined the birth of Messiah, which they didn't know when it was. Although, quite frankly, they knew for sure it wasn't in December. Okay? And they combined that with this belief system that was emerging called Christianity. And they combined them and mixed them together. It's called syncretism. Syncretism. Okay? Not synchronized, but syncretized. Look it up, it's a different word. But it means taking two things that really don't belong together and merging them together. And that's how you end up with these things. Continuing here. Okay, up to 40. And the wrath of Yahweh burned against his people and he loathed his own inheritance. Could you, could you imagine making the creator feel that way? And why? By the way, when was another time when we hear that kind of language out of, out of, out of Yahweh's mouth? The flood. You also hear it with Moses when he says to Moses, hey, why don't we wipe everybody out of here and start again? But he, he just looks down and he's sorry that he has to deal with this. I mean, some of you are frustrated raising your children. Imagine raising billions of them that don't listen and that just want to do whatever they want and think they know better than you do. Actually, somebody once said a joke somewhere. I'm going to probably mess it up. I think it's something like Yahweh gives us children so that we know what he feels like. A creature you brought into the world that will completely disrespect and ignore you. <laughs> That's awful, but it could be true. It could be unfortunately very true. But the thing is, some of you are thinking about your children. No, you should be thinking about you. He's already looking at you that way. And by the way, if you change, you know what your children might change? Because he's allowing in your life so you get it reflected back to you what you do to him. Husbands and wives, you get a lot of this in your marriage too. One spouse could be reflecting back to the other spouse exactly what they're doing to Yahweh. By the way, spouse, don't ever come to your spouse and say, well, I'm doing this because Yahweh wanted me to do this to reflect back to you. That will not go well. Don't do that. But you as the one receiving, you should be praying and asking the question, is this happening because you're trying to tell me that what he or she is doing to me and making me upset and hurting my feelings and everything is how I, what I'm doing to you? You ask him that question. Don't talk to your spouse about it that way. Because that could be. 
Same thing with your children. Your children are doing to you. Maybe what you're doing to your spouse. Maybe what you're doing to the Creator. One of the parents might be, one of the husband or wife might be saying, well, the children don't listen. And the other spouse goes, well, you don't listen. Or Yahweh may look down and say, well, you don't listen. So no wonder your children don't listen. Maybe it's an, maybe it's an imitated behavioral pattern and not just that they randomly have this problem. What example are we setting? What are we doing to show them what it looks like to listen, to show respect, to give honor? 41, then he gave them into the hand of the Gentiles, and those who hated them ruled over them. You know, Yahweh loves us so much that he'll even let us have whatever we want, even if it's bad for us at some point, so that we can learn the lesson. Some of us as parents have had to do that with children. All right. You want to go do that stupid thing? Go do that stupid thing. When you come to me, understand, I told you it was stupid to do. Okay, you don't need to give them a big fat, I told you so. They'll probably come to you like the prodigal son, acknowledging and knowing how stupid they were. Okay, but if they know they're going to get a giant, I told you so, they may be reluctant to come to you. Let them just come. And then look them in the eye and say, please, in the future, consider letting me counsel you so you don't make these mistakes. As opposed to, well, see that? Of course you went wrong and blew up in your face. I told you so. <laughs> Not a good move. So he turns them over to the Gentiles. If you want the Gentiles here, you can have them. But you know what? They went over there and it looked all great. They ended up getting oppressed. You know, we're told that we're set free. But see, the, from Christianity's point of view, you're set free, meaning you're set free from everything. We're free. We can do whatever we want. No, we're being set free from the burden and bondage of sin. What is sin? The transgression of the law. So we are set free from that because we were not doing it burdensomely, knowing that there was an alternative. He gave us the law to say, hey, this way is the cure for that way. This is the solution to just living your life randomly thinking you know what you're doing. We're going to get to the verse eventually into the prophets where it says about how it's in man not even to know which way to put his feet. That's why he tells us where to put our feet and how to do it and what to do. And many times he delivered them, but they rebelled in their plans, so they were brought low for their crookedness. Okay, so he says here he delivered them many times, but look at the key word here is plans. They didn't rebel just in their actions. It was their thought process. They didn't see him as the total solution. They looked to others to be the solution. They looked for escape and deliverance from other sources. It's their plans that were the problem. They rebelled in their thinking process, in their plans. This is the problem when Babylon came. Jeremiah tried to get their attention, but they planned to say, oh, don't worry, Egypt will save us or somebody else or whatever. He said, no, if you just would repent and allow Yahweh to deliver you, this can be okay. They rebelled in their plans. So they were brought low for their crookedness. So what does bringing low connect up in your thoughts? What word pops up? Humility. Good job. Okay, so humility. Deuteronomy 8.2. They go through the wilderness. To do what, number one? To be humbled. And then their heart is tested whether or not it's in their heart to keep the commandments or not. So here, because they're rebelling in their plans, he had to bring them low for their crookedness. And the crookedness, I'm going to say, is the plans. 
He's not as mad at them for what they did as having a wrong thought process that led them into doing what they did. I mean, actions, you did it, it's over. Thought processes continue. You're going to keep making those mistakes, keep making bad decisions. So the thought process is the problem needs to be fixed. We agree? So it wasn't so much about what they did. It's how they got to the place where they did what they did. What was driving it? What was motivating it? A wrong thought process. And we cover this quite a bit in the heart of the matter. In, in let's see, um, endure and receive the crown of life. Another place where we talk about thought processes. Uh, what are you thinking? Well, we talk about it a ton in there. It's a mindset. It's a thought process. So he said, look. He said, even though I delivered them, they rebelled by their plans and I had to bring them low for their crookedness. And the crookedness was not so much the actions, although it was. He was really more concerned with changing their mindset. They were not fearing him. They were not trusting him. They were looking to others to deliver them out of things. But when, excuse me, verse 44, but he would look on their distress when he heard their cry. So here's the beautiful part of it all. They keep doing this stuff and they're so smart and it keeps blowing up in their faces so they cry out. Anybody have children like that? They're so stubbornly got to keep doing it and, get, and then they come crying to you. I need you to help me fix this and I messed up. Okay, I'll help you. Are you ready to listen to me next time? Not really. They may give it lip service, right? Their lips speak but their heart's not really there. We have verses for that. See again, look at all these amazing things that are in your book. Apply to everything in your life that you know is true, even though he repeats himself so much. You've seen all that in your lives. And remember his covenant. Okay, so he, lo- he would look on their distress, and you hear their cry, and he would remember his covenant for their sake, and relent according to the greatness of his kindness. So there's the word covenant that we're waiting for in this whole Psalm 106. He would remember his covenant. Are they remembering theirs along the way here? Not really. But what covenant is he remembering? Is he remembering Exodus 19? Or is he remembering the covenant of the pieces? The things he promised Abraham. See, this is not remembering Exodus 19, where he's remembering, if you do what I say, I will take care of everything else. Because they're not doing what he said. He said, but I remembered my covenant for their sake and relented. The covenant was the promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the covenant he's remembering here. We've already forgotten. And by the time we're scattered amongst the Gentiles, we've broken that covenant. Because we're not doing what he says at that point. He would, and he would let them find compassion before all those holding them captive. So he would show them kindness and let them find compassion within their captivity. Of course, he didn't do this right away. For all you parents that will tell your children, you're punished for three days and five hours later they're not punished. That's not what Yahweh's doing here. Okay, he set a timer on that where they got the full extent of that. And then after they ended the full extent, then he gave them some compassion within their captivity. We are experiencing that here. We are living very much under the compassion of Yahweh in captivity, essentially. We're in the dispersion. Save us, O Yahweh, our Elohim, verse 47, and gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your set-apart name, to exult in your praise. So that's the whole point. Look, and I think in the, one of the songs you guys sang, Mishkanim was singing, that line is in there, the idea of to go out, to be set free so we can give you praise. See, what was Moses' 
Um, what did he express to Pharaoh was the point of leaving Egypt to Pharaoh so that they could go and worship their Elohim. See, here it's saying the same thing. It says, save us, O Yah, our Elohim. Why? So that we could be gathered among the Gentiles to give thanks to your set-apart name, to exult in your praise. Blessed be Yahweh, Elohim of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and all the people shall say, Amen. Praise Yah. See, so the psalm starts off with, Praise Yah and give Him thanks, and it finishes with, Praise Yah and give Him thanks. (laughs) Everything in between is a wake-up call. But even in that exile... Because remember, we start off with the praise Yah at the beginning. We don't know what the timing is at first. We're just like, praise Yah, give him thanks. He's good. Everything's great. Ah, but by the time we get to the end of the psalm, we realize that this is after getting a lesson and a reminder of the history of how they got to go from a place of praise Yah to a place of not so much praise Yah to getting back to it. We are to do that from exile. I mean, that's a critical part of what we're here to learn to do is how do we praise him in exile? How do we praise him and thank him when we're in the second half of Deuteronomy 28, the chapter with the blessings and the cursings? We're in the cursings part. But yet we are to praise him. And we thank him. It's not always easy to do. Why? Because I want what I want and I want it now. That sounds like the Israelites in the desert, doesn't it? I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I'm sure they were. I'm not mocking that. But they should have somewhere been thinking, and I'm sure my creator who brought me out here has a plan for that. I'm not worried about it. See, children do that too. They'll come up to parents sometimes. I look, and I sometimes look at my kids when they're little going, did you think I wasn't going to feed you? Did you think I wasn't going to take care of you? And they look at you like, don't you know I'm hungry? I say, yeah, of course I know you're hungry. It's been four hours or whatever. We, since our last meal, I'm sure you're hungry. But they think like somehow you forgot. But do we do that with our creator? Treat him like somehow we forgot that he's aware of everything? We forget that he knows what's going on. It's foolishness. We have time maybe for Psalm 111. So let's go there. We're going to read the whole thing, all 10 verses. That should probably cover for today. Praise Yah. I thank Yah. Wait, Wait a minute. Again? Wow. Wait, wait. Psalm 112. Praise Yah. 113. Praise Yah. 114. I mean, really? Almost like every Psalm? 114 is different. But still, three, four in a row. Praise Yah. Praise Yah. Praise Yah. We need to be doing that all the time. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. Praise Yah. I thank Yahweh with all my heart. We're in Psalm 111. In the company of the straight and of the congregation... Okay, so sometimes you need to remember who is the, I don't want to say the audience, but who is this happening among? He's telling you this is not just praising him among the Gentiles. Because a lot of us think we need to go stand on corners and praise Yah and give out tracts. He's saying, no, praise inside the body we need this. Praise Yah in the company of the straight in the congregation. Because if I'm praising Yah and you need to hear that, what a blessing that is to you if you now needed to hear that so you get your mind turned back around. But you're all concerned about, you know, your family and friends who don't get it. No, how about all the rest of us that need that? He says, now he didn't say don't do it in the other place, but he says do it in the company of the straight and the congregation. Great are the works of Yahweh, searched for by all who delight in them. 
Hmm. The works of Yahweh are searched for, if we're going to understand how great they are, by those who delight in them. Now, you may say, well, how can I delight in something if I don't know what it is yet because I'm searching for it? Well, but if you trust and know that everything that comes from him is going to be for your benefit and a blessing and meant to... Remember we talked about Torah doing three things, right? It blesses you, keeps you safe. Those are awesome things. Why wouldn't you be searching for those things? Now, do you know what they are before you search? No. Now, you may have an idea of there may be a better way to do certain things and you want to search and understand it. But he says, they are a delight. You should have a mindset of delighting in them even before you find them. Because some of you found out some Torah and go, whoa, 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 I don't like that. That doesn't work for me. That's not convenient. That means I have to give up my favorite food or whatever it is. I mean, some of you, you look up Christmas in the dictionary, your picture was there and so was your house and your decorations. You loved it. I mean, it, it defined you. And giving that up was not easy to do. Because of how much it was a part of you. Some of you had that with foods. Some of you had that with other things. But see, do you have the right mindset of searching for these things and delighting in them? Because he says, great are the works of Yahweh. And they should be searched for. So you're searching for the works of Yahweh. Oh, but I thought we did away with works. Not in Psalm 111 we didn't. Oh, well, that's before Messiah was crucified and blah, blah, blah. Come on. Really? Yahweh doesn't change. He says that in one of the verses where we read, he says, I am Yahweh, I change not. You believe him or you don't believe him. Splendor and greatness are his work, and his righteousness stands forever. Does the things you do, especially if they're not right, do they stand forever? No. His stuff stands forever. And by the way, it says his righteousness, his doing right, the things that are right according to him, stand until Messiah comes. Does it say that? It says stands forever. His righteousness stands forever. So what's righteousness again? Doing what's right, but not just anybody's according to who? According to him. Not according to you, not according to me, but according to him. He has made his wonders to be remembered. Ah, he made his wonders. Now, we could, we could read this as he made his wonders and caused us to remember them as opposed to he made his wonders with the intent that we remember them. He made his wonders so that we remember them. He intended to do these things so they would be remembered. Why? Because there's a linkage between remembering what Yah has done and how we keep covenant. So yes, he made them to be remembered. He says... Yahweh shows favor and is compassionate. So he's telling you that it's in his compassion he gives you these wonders because they should inspire you to stay the road, stay the narrow path. He has given food to those who fear him and he remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works to give to them the inheritance of the Gentiles, the lands of the Gentiles, of the nations. So this is part his promise to Abraham, but it's also part of what he says in Exodus 19. I will lift you up and make you um, uh, the city on a hill and everybody will see you and you will be that example to all. You will be my set-apart people and nobody will bother you and nobody will make you fearful and no, nothing will happen to you. He remembers his covenant forever. Do we? That's the problem. 
So he says he's shown his people the power of his works. I'm going to extrapolate out. He's not just talking about, you know, feeding people with manna. He's not just talking about destroying Egypt with plagues. He's not just talking about the flood. He's not just talking about parting the sea. Anybody, since you've been walking this out, discover the power of his works like Shabbat. Or the power of his works like the holy days. The Torah keeping has power. And it empowers you in your transformation. He said, he says he has shown his people the power of his works. So that's why we have the book. So we can read about and see the examples of the power of his works. To give them the inheritance of the Gentiles. So he's saying, look, there's an inheritance for you. The nations have lands, the lands that you had from before. The inheritance is going to come back. The works of his hands are truth and right ruling. All his orders are trustworthy. They are upheld forever and ever, performed in truth and straightness. How do you read that and nail these things to the cross and say that they're no good and that they were a burden even our forefathers couldn't do and that Torah is bad and evil and whatever? I don't think there's any ambiguity here. The works of his hands are truth and right ruling. Oh, they'll say, well, that's just the works of his hands. No, no. All his instructions, his orders are trustworthy and they are upheld forever and ever. Performed in truth and straightness. He sent redemption to his people. He's commanded his covenant forever. Okay, now we went from the covenant that he said he remembers to the one he commanded He didn't command the one to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Which one did he command? Exodus 19. When he said, if you will do what I say, I will take you as my people and provide everything else. He commanded his covenant forever, set apart and awesome is his authority, is his name. So again, the people, unfortunately, who put the system together that you were all a part of at one point, didn't spend a whole lot of time understanding how the flow goes from Genesis to Matthew. They just start in Matthew or John or Romans or some other place, Galatians. They forget that everything contextually has to fit in with what already, what already came previously. That's why it did not just start at verse 28 in Psalm 106, because you needed to remember what happened in the first 26 verses before we got there, 27 verses before we got there. Context. Continuing, so he says here, they are upheld forever and ever, performed in truth and straightness. They need to be performed. Oh, you're talking works again. Yes, I am. But works has to do with reward, not anything. It has nothing to do with salvation per se. Remember, go listen to the Are You Saved 17 parts and understand the relationship between salvation, faith, and works, which was not taught to you, which was not taught to you on Sunday. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Set apart and awesome is his name. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. All those doing them have a good understanding. His praise is standing forever. Let's finish here with that phrase and focus on it for a minute. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. Showing awe, reverence, and respect, and having a proper fear of Yahweh. Go back to the fear of Yahweh teaching. All right? 
Fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of understanding, the beginning of wisdom. It's also step one in Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now Israel, what's Yahweh expect of you? To fear him is step one. To walk in all his ways is step two. Okay, there's a process there. Go back to Deuteronomy 10, 12. All right. But he says, look, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. All those doing them. What's the them? I don't know. Let's see. He's been talking about wonders, uh, right rulings, orders, um, straightness, commands. He expects things to be done. Remember, the covenant is, I speak, you do. <laughs> Not just you hear. Shema, right? Hear and do. Shema. So it's not just hearing, but listening. Because you, you need, and if you talk to your children, you know sometimes they heard you, but they weren't listening. You know the difference. Some of you right now are hearing me, but you're not listening. There's a difference. And he says, look, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. All those doing them have a good understanding. So doing them, I'm going to say that that is a hint in verse 10 here to Deuteronomy 10, 12. Because the next thing after fearing Yahweh is to walk in all his ways. To love him and to serve him. Okay? So that's the pattern. That's the order. And then, of course, we are to give him praise because his praise stands forever. By the way, his praise stands forever whether you praise him or not. And so what do we need to do? We need to praise Yah and thank him with all our hearts. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King, Father, we come before you and we are just so appreciative of you repeating yourself, of you showing us over and over and over again what needs to be said so that we can glean those little distinctions, those little pieces of the puzzle that make it more clear and we would learn how to apply these things in our lives. Let us start with fearing you correctly, awe, reverence, and respect for you, the living Elohim, the creator of all things so that we can understand your wisdom. See, wisdom is an interesting word. We, we often think that we're so smart, and we think some of the things of, the, of you are foolish. No, that's already being foolish for us to think that anything of you is foolish. The thoughts of man are foolishness. All the thoughts of you, our living Elohim, are wisdom and right ruling. And we seek the understanding. Because in doing them... We have a good understanding. So some of us out here are struggling because we're not doing them, so we don't understand them. You know, and I remember reading a book a long, long time ago on keeping Shabbat. I was in college, and some of you know the story. But one of the things that book said in it was, if you don't do it, you can't understand it because I can't explain it to you. I can explain the mechanics, the author said, but you have to keep it and do it to really understand what makes it so special. Well, Yahweh's telling you that here. He said, all those doing the wisdom of Yah have a good understanding. So some of you think you have such a great understanding of stuff, and so there are things that you don't do and you want to argue with me. He said, well, how would you know really if it's good or bad if you've never done it? You can't understand it unless you're doing it. Now, he's not telling you to go do the bad things to understand why they're bad. He just tells you right out, don't do those things. But the good stuff, like some of you still don't want to wear your seat seat. I can't explain to you what I feel when I wear my seat seat. I can't express that to you in words that would ever move you or change your mind about anything. 
You're all, especially the guys are all still hung up on, well, I don't want to wear stuff hanging from my clothes. People are going to laugh at me. Where is your, what's the, what's the teaching we did? Um, let me not be ashamed. Why are you afraid of what other people are going to mock you, laugh at you? So what? We go back to so what? See, but you're embarrassed. You're like, you know, you guys all feel, oh, if I was Peter, I wouldn't have denied him three times. Oh, really? Where's your seat seat? You understand what I'm saying? So, Father, we come to you seeking your strength, your encouragement. Give us, hold our hand as we walk. Don't carry us. Don't, make, don't, don't lift us up and do all those things for us. We need to do the doing so we get the understanding. But give us the strength, the encouragement, and be there with us in case we stumble to help us stand back up and start again. Father, we love you. We thank you. We give you all praise and all glory and all honor as we are studying to understand so we can apply, so we can transform into the image of your Son, our Messiah. And it's in his name we pray, Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Now is the Time with Steve Berkson here on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time Radio is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org.